You know, as a pastor, one of the things that I pray for and, and want to, want to see happen is for revival to take place. Some of you pray for that as well. And I can think of no pastor who would not love to see revival, not just start out in the community, not just start in the state, not just start in the nation, not just start in the world, but revival to be, really begin in, in the church with God's people. As God stirs them again by His Spirit and convicts them of sin where they're out of, out of line, out of sync with His desire for their lives and where He wants them to be. And honestly, where the best place is for them to be and begins to pull them back to Himself in a way that's absolutely transformative. I think every pastor wants to see that. We get some glimpses of that, of course. Uh, I was, I mentioned earlier that, uh, there are places uh, throughout our world in, in Muslim countries where there are people coming to Christ by the thousands. And we don't hear about it very much, and that's actually a good thing uh, because that would create even more of a crackdown uh, if that were really widely publicized. But it's not just taking place in those countries. There are places in South America, Central America, and Asia where there's a great revival going on. There are places in Europe where the, the word of the Lord is being lifted high and people are coming to Christ and we have an opportunity here in just a few weeks to go and be part of a, a, a new movement that's taking place uh, within the body of Christ, and that is uh, the uh, Harvest Georgia Crusades. If any of you follow Greg Laurie, you know he's been preaching crusades. And, and we thought, that, oh, that's something that you know left with Billy Graham, and yet uh, there are stadiums being filled up, and about 10% of those who come, just looking at the raw numbers, about 10% of those who come, they have over 100,000, 110,000 who would attend during a, a weekend and, and 10 or 11,000 coming to Christ at a time. And we haven't seen that in, in a long, long time. And so I'm excited that we're going to be able to go and take part in that. But it's not just to refresh and encourage us. It's also as an opportunity for us to bring people who have this curiosity about Christ, who, who are not near to Him or have wandered away from Him, to bring them to be part of this. And so I think every pastor I know wants to see this kind of revival. And it would be utterly foolish to say that, you know, we don't want to see people change. We don't want to see people under conviction. We don't want to see people who are broken before God. Really, the only guy I see as I'm reading through the pages of Scripture who didn't want this is Jonah, a prophet. And he wasn't real excited about what God was going, what, what God was up to. Now, I'm not going to recap the whole thing. It's only four short chapters. If this is your first time with us today, uh, we're in chapter four in a few minutes. We're going to look there, but we, we've gone through the last few weeks. We've gone through chapters one, two, and three, and we've, we've gone with Jonah on his, uh, quite an adventure that he has had to get him to the point where he is now. And last week, he was actually inside the city of Nineveh, a great, huge, wicked city. And he was preaching to them a very simple message, not one of love and compassion and understanding. His message was simple. He said, in, hey, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Here's my message. I'm delivering it to you. Up and down the streets he went delivering this message. Remarkable thing happened. People listened to the message. He didn't think they'd listen to this message. People listened to the message. They believed what he said, and they acted on it. They repented, and they began to call on the Lord. And this did not make Jonah happy. And so we're going to look this morning, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Jonah chapter 4, and as you do, 
Uh, let me just thank the Lord for giving us this word today. Heavenly Father, we do appreciate so much your word, its power, its truth. And Lord, even though this is a story that is anchored in history, it has truths that echo through history and into our lives today. And so, Lord, speak to us through your word. For we ask in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, let's begin to look at chapter 4, and I want to do like I did last week. I'm going to look at sections at a time, and then we can go from there. So we want to begin by looking in, in chapter uh, 4, verse 1. And, and here we read, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, what displeased it? The, the people repenting displeased Jonah. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, Lord, now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. So what would bring me excitement or my pastor friend's excitement was to see revival citywide huge you know, people just flocking to the Lord and turning from their sins in repentance. What, what would excite me didn't excite Jonah at all. In fact, Jonah was, was pretty ticked off about it. He was upset that this has taken place. The last thing he wanted to see, the very last thing he wanted to see was the people of Nineveh on their knees before the Lord. He was, listen, he was pulling for another Sodom and Gomorrah type event. He was pulling for hellfire and brimstone. He was pulling for fire to rain down from heaven and consume them and burn them up to a crisp. And Jonah hated what God had done. He hated that he had, that the Lord had spared the people of Nineveh. And so he prayed. Well, hang on. If you'll remember as we walk through this, Jonah who was a prophet, who probably for him prayer was part of life, uh, all during his running part, all during his running part, he failed to pray. And it was only when he got down to really uh, the bottom of the barrel, as he was in the belly of the fish, it was then it was then that he started to pray again. And it was a pretty, right pretty prayer. You can go back and read it in chapter 2 if you want to. But here his prayer is not so pretty. Did you get this? We read this, and, and it, it almost looks completely disrespectful. We think, you know, if I'm going to pray something like this, and God's just going to, he's just going to zap me and get me out of here. Uh, he basically said, God, I told you this would happen. Before I left, I knew this was going to happen. Why do you think I went to, to, went to the extreme to leave everything behind to try to flee as far as I could possibly go from you and your call on my life. The last thing I wanted to see, the last thing I wanted to see was these Assyrian dogs repenting. Oh, I know what kind of God you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Merciful, gracious, loving. And it's just like you to forgive a bunch of low-down, no-good, dirty, mangy Ninevites like this. So God, just kill me. Just... Go ahead and kill me. Either kill me or kill them, but one of us has got to go. And this is Jonah's prayer. And we look at this and we go, how could anyone go to the Lord like this? And, and I want to actually 
this may surprise you, but I want to actually commend Jonah for his prayer. You go, but wait a minute, that's, that's not respectful. No, it's not. But it was honest. And so many of us think that when we pray, we've got to, we've got to pick the words really carefully. We're, we're picking and choosing. We've got to pray at, at, at this kind of a level. And so we kind of we disguise our real feelings. We disguise our real motivations. We bury the anger because, my goodness, I don't want to take this in front of God. He might zap me out of existence if I did. But i got to tell you that God answers prayers like this far more than He does fake prayers. Read through the Psalms sometimes. Those things can get pretty raw in the emotions that are expressed. When David just says, hey God, just, just kill them all. He's being honest. We have a hard time with that. We have a hard time being honest with each other. That's one of the beautiful things I think about Celebrate Recovery on Thursday nights is that that's a time for people in a safe environment to come and, and to be honest about who they are and what they've done and and, and where they are in their, their journey. But we have a hard time being honest. Because we've got a reputation to keep up. You know, we don't want people thinking bad of us. We don't want people uh, talking about us. We don't want people thinking we're messed up. I tell people, anytime I have someone coming in for counseling, they think that they're the only one out of sync with the world. But here's the truth. Nobody's normal. Nobody's normal. Take a look around. Look in the mirror. None of us are normal. We simply need to be honest with God about what's going on in our lives, about what our real feelings are. Bring all that stuff out so that He can begin to deal with it because when we hide these things from God, yeah, there's sometimes He'll go and rip it out of the closet from us, but most of the time, God's going to let us do that until we're ready to begin to pull out all the junk and say, okay, God, let's deal with this together. And so Jonah came with this, this honest prayer. He basically is acknowledging uh, you know, what, the, what the choir sang this morning, you know, uh, about, about loving the Lord and, and, and giving it all to Him. And that, that was not where he was. He had something he wanted to see happen. And when God didn't do what he wanted to have done, he got ticked off. Well, why was Jonah so disturbed? There are probably any number of reasons. You can read commentaries and maybe a whole list of things. I think first and obvious is that, that uh, the people of Nineveh were wicked. I mean, they were really, really bad people. They were Al-Qaeda, ISIS kind of wicked. That's, that's the way we need to think about this. And so why in the world does he want to see something good happen to them? He wanted to just see bad fall on them. It may have had something to do with his reputation. If you'll remember in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, which I'm sure all of you have memorized, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, it's said that if a prophet prophesies something and it doesn't come to pass, then that's a false prophet. Uh-oh. Well, didn't don't Jonah just go through the street saying, Nineveh is going to be destroyed? So now his reputation as a prophet, how can I go back home and tell him this is what I told him and this is what happened? But I think there's something else here. I didn't see this in many commentaries, so I'm kind of walking out on a limb a little bit. I think there was also some anger directed 
at his people back in Israel. Think about this. Those people knew who the Lord was. They had a history. They had stories. King Jeroboam, who sat up on the throne, he knew who the Lord was. And yet, when Israel was called to repent, they refused. They kept doing what they were doing. They just ignored God, pushed Him out of the way because they had their own thing that they wanted to do, their own things that they wanted to accomplish. And here He goes into this awful pagan city and He preaches a message with no redemption in it at all. He just preaches a terrible message that God's going to judge you. And these people hear it and they believe and they actually do something about it. How embarrassing is that? My own people. They won't do anything about this when I tell them, but I go over here and talk to these pagans and bam, revival breaks out. This man was disturbed. He was upset. He was angry enough, he says, to die. He just wanted, just put me out of my misery. And then the Lord, and this shows you again the mercy of the Lord, because the Lord could have just said, zap, taking care of him, taking him out. But instead, the Lord asked him a question, verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? In other words, Jonah, is this anger? You know, I can kind of tell you're angry, buddy. Is this anger justified? Does this really make sense? Let's, let's step back and take a look at this. Listen, listen, you can still hear Jonah. You can still hear... The, the weeping and the wailing coming from the streets of Nineveh. Can you hear that, Joan? What was a lively city full of activity and people coming and going is now quiet because they're all in mourning over their sin. Do you see that, Joan? Does it make any sense for you to be angry that the people repented and I didn't judge them. Now, it doesn't say that Jonah answered. It just said that he left. Look here in verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till, uh, till he could see what would happen, what would become of the city. Now, the Lord appointed a, a plant, and he made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plan. Okay, Here, here's what's happening. Um, we don't know time frame here, but we do know uh, it mentioned uh, a three-day journey across the city. So we figure Jonah was probably in the city for three days or so. Uh, but God's message was 40 days and Nineveh will perish. And so this is like kind of the expiration date on your milk jug. All right, so I can drink it up to this point, but, you know, after this expires, I've got to throw it out. That's the way I do it in my house anyway. I don't even smell it. I just throw it, okay? So he's got, he's got, a, he's got an expiration period on Nineveh here, and so we can imagine that he's going to be sitting up there. Now, I don't know where he started counting. Did he count the day he left as day one of the 40, the day he finished preaching? Does he, does he count those three days? Probably, so that, you know, all right, now I've got 37 more days. So you gotta figure he's out there for a while. He's camped out for a while. And what he does is he builds himself a shelter, a booth, uh, depending on the translation. But this is basically, um, 
a, a survivalist thing. He, he's going out and he's finding sticks and twigs and limbs and he's putting this thing together with leaves and trying to inter, interlace them so that he gets some shelter and some shade from the sun because it, as we know right now from what we see of our soldiers overseas, it can be an exceedingly hot place. And so now he's there. He's built this little shelter to get some shade, but it's not a lot of shade, but he's there and he's, and, and he's, he's got to look out. And he, he may, he may have a little piece of something he's scratching off the days. You know, he's counting the days. And he's just sitting there going, okay, here, I know what's going to happen. I know, I know these people. They're awful people. They're wicked people. And they're just waiting till I leave and they're sure I'm gone. And then the party's going to start again. It's all going to go back the way it was. It's, it, you know, they're not going to change. And every day he keeps waiting to see everything start to engage and, and things to become normal activity once again. He waits and he waits and he waits. You can imagine he's getting angrier and angrier and angrier, but also there's something else happening. All those leaves and twigs and, and, and things that he has strung up over the top, this stuff has started to dry out and the wind starts blowing. It starts blowing it away. And so now he's in kind of a bit of discomfort because he, he's got this little shelter, but it's completely inadequate. And the sun gets overhead and it's starting to beat down on him. And, and he's getting hotter and hotter under the collar and other ways. And he is just, I mean, he's just having an awful time. So God does something for him overnight. He causes this miraculous vine to grow up. And he wakes up the next day and the sun starts shining and he's going, well, it's not as hot as it was yesterday. And he looks up and he goes, my goodness, my little, my little shelter that was so flimsy yesterday, now it's just covered with these green vines and it's protecting me from the sun and it's a lot cooler under here. This is great. And, and listen, for the first time in the entire story, Jonah is happy. For the first time in the entire story, Jonah was happy. Where was his happiness anchored? In his comfort. This is important. Because if we're honest... Where is our happiness anchored? In our comfort. And when our comfort is taken away, our happiness is taken away. So let's see what happens. Verse 7, But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm, and that worm attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. Isn't it amazing how one day can change everything? For good or bad. One day you're miserable. The next day because of circumstances you're happy. The next day because of circumstances changed. You're miserable again. That's where Jonah is. Jonah is sitting here and everything's going along, but the Lord that had given them this vine also sends along this little creepy worm, this little caterpillar, whatever it is, and it starts to gnaw at this vine and it cuts it off at the root. And then that sun starts beating down, starts drying that thing out, the leaves start flying off, and he's in the same situation, maybe worse than he was before, as this comfort has been yanked away from him 
And then God said, you know, let me just turn it up just a little bit. So he sent a scorching east wind, a shirako. So, so basically, here you've got Jonah sitting out in the open. It's like being in a convection oven. This hot wind, this hot sun, and he is he's about to faint. He's, he's getting heat strokes sitting out there under this sun, getting sunburned sitting out there under this sun. He is he's in he's getting hot under the collar in more ways than one. And he thinks it could not get any worse than this. Now, now just the previous day, he's thinking, man, it can't get any better than this. And now the next day he's over here going, it can't get any worse than this. Does that sound like anybody you know? Wives, do not shake your head so much. This is Jonah's plight. This is where he is. And he says, God, just put me out of my misery. And then God comes back. Now, I want you to notice. God didn't come back and call him names. Because no matter how long Jonah, and I don't know how long Jonah had been a prophet. I don't know how old he was. But no matter how long he had been a prophet, no matter how long he'd known the Lord, there's no way you can know the Lord completely in this life. Some of you know a lot about the Lord, but there's, you're not there yet. You have not graduated. You do not get a certificate of completion. Okay, I know everything there is to know about God. He still had a lot to learn. And so he comes in verse 9, he says, But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plan? In other words, you didn't answer my question before <laughs> when I asked you if you do well being angry uh, that I showed mercy. Now I'm asking you another question. Do you do well? Is it justified for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, this Jonah responds to this one. He says, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So God comes to Jonah. Jonah's sitting there, his face is red, his head's red, his arm's red, everything's red. I mean, he's just, he's hot. And he says, okay, Jonah, I, let, me, let me just get this straight. Let me make sure I understand where you're coming from. First of all, you got really mad because I showed mercy to the people down in Nineveh. That ticked you off. And then you got glad because I gave you this vine as a shelter over your head. And then you got mad again because I sent this worm who killed the plant and took away your comfort and made you quite uncomfortable. So, so Jonah, I, I just want to understand you here. You were more upset over your personal discomfort. You were more upset over the loss of a vine, over the appearance of this worm. You were more upset over that than the people, that 120,000 plus people in a city who were going to be burned to a crisp, not sunburned, not heat stroke, but totally wiped out. You were more concerned about a plant and a worm than you were about the city? Jonah, there are over 120,000 people there. And they, they don't know their right hand from their left. 
They're completely spiritual ignorant. Listen, you had the benefit of growing up in a family that taught you, taught you about me. You had that benefit. You had the benefit of growing up in a community that knew about me. You had that benefit. They didn't have that. They've been taught lies all their lives. They've never heard the truth till you showed up. And what you're telling me, Jonah, is that you are more upset because you're going to appeal here in a few days. You're more upset about that than you are about people who could potentially have died and gone into a, a godless eternity apart from me. You wanted them to suffer. And yet you sit here whining because of your discomfort. I told you when I started these, this series that Jonah's more than the story of a, a man who got swallowed by a supersized fish. In reality, it's the story of a God with supersized mercy. That's what this story's about. Notice, we had a prophet who was called to do something. He went completely out of the will of God, and yet God showed him mercy. It saved him. We have sailors up on board a ship, pagan sailors up on board a ship, who worshiped false gods, and yet the Lord showed them mercy. We have the city the citizens of Nineveh, who were both wicked and idol worshipers, and yet even there, God has shown them mercy. You see a pattern here? God is a God of mercy. Jonah knew that. He said, I know you to be a God of love and a God of mercy. A God who ceases from his anger turns away from these bad plans he has for people. I'm, I know the kind of God you are. And yet knowing it here and living it out is completely foreign to him. Knowing when he knew about God, when he saw what happened in Nineveh, instead of running out and throwing a hissy fit up on a hill, why didn't he gather them together? King and court, men and women, old and young and say I see you I see that God has worked in your heart to bring about repentance let me tell you about my God listen he could have used the exact he could have used the same words let me tell you about my God he's loving compassionate Mercy. He doesn't want to stay angry with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And I'm here to tell you how that can happen. Can you imagine how much different the story would be? You see, archaeology tells us that the city of Nineveh was destroyed that they did revert back eventually. They did revert back to their old ways, their old gods. How would that story have been different 
had Jonah's heart been different? How many souls might have been spared if Jonah, instead of getting angry with the plan of God, had gotten on board with the plan of God? As I told Michael as we sat in the office talking about this Sunday's message, it could just as easily be titled, I am Jonah. Because when I read the story of Jonah, I see a lot of Jimmy in him. I see a lot of pride and arrogance of what I know about God and how close I am to God and what I have with God. And then I look out upon the world and instead of looking out with eyes of compassion, I, I may look out with eyes of condemnation. I'm Jonah. Maybe you're Jonah. Maybe we, like Jonah, need a huge change of heart. Maybe we, like Jonah, need to have God step into our lives, come sit in the seat beside us and whisper in our ear. Are you justified in being angry? Are you justified in your attitude towards people who don't know me? Are you justified in your pride and your arrogance? Is that really how you want to live? Well, folks, I want to give you just, let me give you three takeaways. There's no, you don't have to write this down. It's already printed for you. Basically, it's this. The Lord is a God of mercy. Some of you need to know that this morning. You need to know it because you need the mercy of God and you need salvation in His Son, Jesus Christ. Some of you need to know that the Lord is a God of mercy because you've wandered away from Him and you wonder if He'll take you back. i got a real easy answer for you. Yes. And some of you need to know that the Lord is a God of mercy because when you look out on the world, you don't look through merciful eyes and you need to come and ask God, would you give me a merciful heart? The second takeaway is this. Mercy is not earned, nor is it deserved. It is given and received. You don't earn it. You can never clean yourself up enough to get it. It's given by God who just sloshes over with it. And then finally, those who have received God's mercy should be the most merciful of all. Are we? What would mark our lives? Would we find more in common with Pharisees? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this word and ask now that you would move in hearts as you will, drawing people to you, bringing people back to you, bringing conviction and hope. And Lord, whatever it is that you call us to do now, we're ready to move. We don't want to stand opposed to what you're doing, Lord. We want to be part of it. We are Jonah. But we don't want to stay that way. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.